Hey guys, what's up? Week 173. Got a bunch of reviews for you. We're going to start this first one out in style. So last week I covered Demonia. This week we're going to cover um, Enigma, released by Severn Films. This is, of course, a Lucio Fulci film. And uh, the first time I saw this one was back on the Image DVD. And I'm going to be honest, for years I was like, oh, that's a bad Fulci movie. I don't like that Fulci movie. And I guess I've seen a lot of movies since then. This is over a decade ago. So um, putting this one in uh, right away, right in the beginning of the, the movie, this song comes on that's super catchy and super 80s. And I was like, I've been wrong this entire time. Within the first 30 seconds, I realized I had made a mistake. Uh, maybe it's my old age or my love for Fulci has grown. But I used to always think, I was like, this is just Fulci trying to be Argento, and it's really just not as not as good as an Argento movie. I just want Fulci. That's why I'm watching a Fulci movie. But, you know, uh, I, I kind of uh, realized, I went, went way past that, and I actually really enjoyed it this time. It definitely has... Uh, some Suspiria influences, and I would say that more so. It's a, it's a heavy a European kind of horror where everybody's at a school and some, you know, people start getting picked off. So, um, this movie has some of the worst bullies I've ever seen. Like, how come horror movies, especially from the 80s, they're like the bullies are essentially just serial killers that haven't killed anyone yet. They're so ruthless and horrible. Um, but essentially what happens is this uh, young girl who, the only reason they really dislike her is she's slightly annoying and she's the janitor's daughter. So yeah, fuck her, janitor's daughter, right? I mean, that's so trashy to hate somebody for that. That's so wrong. So it's a high-end school. And all the girls hate her because she's in love with the the coach or the gym teacher, and she's the janitor's daughter. So they decide to play this really awful prank on her. It's not even a prank. It's just, like, really disgusting. I don't even know. It's got to cross some sort of law. I don't know. But uh, she hooks up with the gym teacher, and they're recording her, the whole thing. And they all kind of, like, haze her and run her out of the truck or the car they're in. And she ends up running into the street and getting hit by a car. She's on life support. She's all messed up. <laughs> and then we kind of cut to this new girl moving into the school and right away something's not right she seems to have a connection with the um the crippled uh, girl in the hospital so right away it has a patrick vibe if anybody's ever seen patrick it's the aussie horror film where the person is catatonic on the bed and they're kind of pulling the strings or controlling things you know they say carrie on the back of this i think it's more like patrick with a hospital bed but it has carrie similarities too so this girl seems to be almost like a vessel for the poor um paralyzed girl but uh, soon enough, people start to end up getting picked off. There's some pretty infamous or iconic deaths, a couple that they set up with. Like, they're eating um, dinner in the, at lunch, and there's snails, and somebody's like, ew, I hate snails. And then it's just like, yeah, this is exactly how this person's going to die. So it, it's an infamous scene where she is eaten alive by flesh-eating snails. Um, it's like a scene out of Slugs, which I, I love that scene. It's, it's really It works really well, and it's just awesome. But, uh, yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of people that get picked off. And you enjoy watching them get killed because they're all awful people. There's definitely some cool supernatural touches, how the people are killed and everything. So the deaths are kind of like Suspiria in a lot of ways. They even do that scene, like, um, 
and and this one like where somebody's face is pushed up against like a clear piece of plastic like a mirror or supposed to be glass i remember that kind of do that in a lot of argento stuff too so um this one's really enjoyable the soundtrack's great um it has a it has a decent amount of nudity and uh sometimes when you see these nude scenes like redone in 4k you see stuff that you know i don't think i was supposed to see so i'm like oh that's i mean you're supposed to see it but you see all the details i was kind of shocked um how you know explicit it looks when it's not supposed to be sometimes if that makes any sense sometimes that 4k of me remaster or 2k remaster can you see a little glimpses in things you're not really supposed to see like makeup things or you know sex scenes where you know scenes were supposed to be kind of darkened areas and they're not darkened anymore so yeah it, it looks fantastic they, they did a real great job with this one this uh also shot in a wonderful location the school really works well there's miniatures in it which i love too and the opening and the ending has these miniature scenes and i'm a sucker for miniatures i love it like an overhead shot of showing the school as a miniature really great stuff really cool um kind of innovative i mean not even innovative i mean it's probably it's very dated but i, I think it's really fun and clever and it's a lot of hard work you know um i don't i think miniatures are underutilized now i've always enjoyed them but uh this movie does have these little kind of like touches that make it just a little bit better than you would expect like um in the very beginning when the um the poor girl's going on her date she like she's in high heels she's not used to wearing them she's all dolled up and she takes off her high heels real quick to she's so excited to run outside and you're like oh that's just like a nice touch and then after the cruelty that happens you're like now it just makes it a little bit more sad um on the disc troy harworth does a commentary and uh it's really good of course he, he he's not he's not by himself this time they kind of bounce back for i can't think who else is on there bouncing back and forth a little bit and they go into some more information about you know the whole thing um i think it's pretty good commentary though the thing that stands out on this disc is actually the um the documentary or featurette, I'll say, of Fulci's later films, where they have a bunch of people who are involved with Fulci and a lot of experts and stuff talk about Fulci's later films. I love that. They cover stuff like Devil's Honey, Enigma, Demonia, a whole bunch of stuff, um, Sodom's Ghost, a lot of the ones, Sweet House of Horrors, and they talk about these. And these ones are lesser um, known Fulci's, so that's really nice. And I hopefully Severin releases like Sweet House of Horrors and House of Clocks and Solomon's Ghost. These are some of the uh, new gladiators, because I, I really love a lot of those ones too, especially new gladiators i think is underrated jared martin speaking of new gladiators jared martin's actually in this one from new gladiators and i gotta mention too that this teacher is this doctor is horrible so he's there to help the students but he just starts basically sleeping with them and he bounces back and forth and he's just like it's like you're such a piece of shit but anyways uh they remastered this one looks fantastic the opening theme music is really uh the sound the song in there is really great um just a lot better than i remembered uh, maybe i'm getting soft in my old age or maybe i'm just getting more appreciative but check it out it's an uh, enigma from Severn Films, directed by Lucio Falci.
Anderson, sì? No, io non posso, sono solo in ospedale. E ti caverai un occhio. Puoi portarmi a casa, anche se non so come ti chiami. Io mi chiamo Anderson. Se una persona è di Boston dovrebbe almeno conoscere il fiume che l'attraversa. E come mai questa stessa persona non ha i suoi ricordi ma quelli di un'altra che è praticamente morta? On this film, he, he could tell he wasn't in the best of spirits and he wasn't in the best of health. And unfortunately, this was the last he ever saw of him. Perdendo l'aiuto regista. So, but his late era Fulci, I think there are some good titles. There, there are flashes of brilliance. Okay, this next one is a double feature from um, this. I'm going to have to read his name off the back. It's a French name, and I am the worst with French. Uh, Jean-Louis Van Bell. And uh, yeah, this is Lady Kills and uh, Pervertisme. Um, this is the same director that did the um, the Sadist with Red Teeth, which Mondo Macabro released on DVD. I did not get a chance to watch this one, but um, that one. But these ones, of course, I watched. Um, the Lady Kills is the first one from 1971, and this one was the more interesting of the two for me. Um, this director I don't know much about, and from the special features, it seemed that um, a lot of people don't know about him, and it's kind of been like a rediscovery of his films. So it's kind of cool they're getting released. <laughs> these are definitely kind of exploitation fare. But the first one opens up with a rape, so I was like, that kind of took me back a little bit, because I didn't know much about these movies. I was like, whoa, we're kind of just diving right into this one. So it opened up with a rape, and then we kind of cut to this uh, voyeur, like, point of view of somebody just shooting this guy in the back of the head who seems like, you know, kind of a guy ready for a hookup and everything. And uh, the special effects aren't great. You know, it's very um, 70s, early 70s blood, so think paint, think Dawn of the Dead, you know, style from the 70s. Very, very paint blood. And uh, this scene's not very effective, because the way it's shot but it's still you get the idea so um we have this rape set up and we have somebody being murdered and then pretty soon after that <clears throat> we have this woman kind of going around and hooking up with people but uh you don't know much about her she seems promiscuous she's jumping around from city to city but she's actually picking these people off 
and um, you know it's not the same woman who was raped in the beginning, but you start to think over time that she definitely has a tie to it, and she's picking off the people who are in the beginning. So, in a way, it is a rape-revenge movie, and it's told in a... Structurally, it's a little different. I kind of liked it. And also, it's one of these movies that's uh, an adventure kind of sex film, where people go around and have sex with different kind of people and everything like that. But it also showcases a bunch of different locations, um, or supposedly different locations. I believe they probably do shoot in different places. I'm not 100% sure. You know, sometimes they'll fool about and, and do different things like that. I know that a lot of Italian films, they say were showcases just to show different cities and everything like that. So we're jumping around constantly in this stuff. But there's these nice little moments in here that I really liked where she kind of, um, she's hitchhiking and she gets picked up in this car. And this guy is just a perverted piece of shit and tries to take advantage of her because she's gorgeous. And he reaches over, touches her leg, and she's like... um kind of like gets him somehow out of his car um, to do something to check the back and she drives off and steals his car and you're like, I just think that's so satisfying in this kind of movie. So little bits like that and it's pretty tragic and you know, a revenge film, it ends pretty pretty much how you would expect. If you're going to dig a grave, you better dig one for yourself. That's what they say, right? Or I probably screwed that up. But you guys get the point. Um, they remastered it. Looks pretty good. Looks solid. Um, on the disc includes kind of like this uh, film festival um, with the director and he's kind of coming out and talking to the audience and they talk about his movies a bit and uh, that, that was nice to see because like I said I'm not familiar with this director but it seems that he has a handful of films that he made and they all seem to kind of have the same MO, a little bit of you know eroticism in there but this one again has more of an exploitation flair to it and I thought this one was fairly good actually, The Lady Kills. On the second one, um, the second one is actually per, uh, what, Pervisma, Pertisma um, which is a very strange name and this feels more like a latter day Emmanuel film except not as mean spirited I would say although the ending and the final act of this movie is really mean spirited and it turns into some One Flow of the Cuckoo's Nest Frankenstein kind of shit um, but anyways we have this woman who wants to be this journalist and she's walking around and there's a journalist thing in the first one too so I wonder if this director had an obsession or a, a kind of interest in journalism um, so I guess a lot of probably filmmakers do have a kind of an interest in journalism I, you know the way they make films and do stories but regardless this one this woman wants to be a journalist and again every guy in these movies are super sexed up like um, these, these are like sexploitation films in a lot of ways where everybody's trying to score with her and so she's going around being sent to these different places because she wants to do this uh, study on certain sexual things I'm not necessarily sure what exactly she's looking for but she's getting inter involved with all these other things where she becomes a call girl at one point and the two guys running the place are both trying to sleep with her she becomes part of and a model at certain points and she gets into some bondage S&M so it's just a way to put her in these weird sexually explicit kind of positions and that's why I say it kind of reminds me of an Emmanuel film like Emmanuel and the last cannibals are Emmanuel in America where she's like doing this search searching for a story and sleeping with everybody that she comes in contact with or some sort of sexual encounter so it's kind of like that deal so anyways this this finally she goes into this hospital which is completely bonkers and it's some horrible um you know kind of institution where they're experimenting on people and and it gets really dark and I did not know where it was going to end. Thankfully, it doesn't end where I thought it might end. Um, but yeah, this one, it just didn't catch my interest as much because, you know, although a lot of people love the Emmanuel films, I, I've never been super connected to them and I know there's ton, like, more, I'm more so talking about the black Emmanuel movies because I've not seen a lot of the earlier ones, you know, Goodbye Emmanuel and Emmanuel 1 and 2. I, I am familiar with more of the black Emmanuel series by Joe Diamato. And although I do respect 
Emmanuel in America for its very impactful and in intense scene of torture. I, I just find that one a little bit uh, repetitive, and I, I prefer Emmanuel in The Last Cannibals. But like I said, it, this one kind of feels like that in a lot of ways. And uh, yeah, so, so I imagine it was probably inspired by Emmanuel, the earlier films with the journalism aspect. But um, again, like I said, I can't 100% um, commit to that because I haven't seen the earlier ones. It did very much remind me of some of the um, latter-day Emmanuel films. But, uh, yeah, this one, it, it's interesting in a lot of ways. And I do like how they kind of capture this this end scene where it takes you where you don't really expect to go, but also it feels a little out of place at the same time. So um, its spontaneous, spontaneous nature kind of makes it a little bit weird um, and go in a dark place. It kind of surprised me. But, yeah, this is a nice double feature. They, re they look really good. They cleaned them up really well. Um, and uh, they are sexually explicit, so this is your bag. Check it out. Okay, this next one I'd wanted to see for a long time since um, Massacre Video announced they were doing it and it is Mr. No Legs. That's right, with Richard Jekyll and this guy with no legs. So I don't know who he is. I think it's obviously a novelty act in the movie. But uh, okay. So I put this in and I'm watching it and the opening of the movie has this uh, these criminals doing this drug organization. I was like, <laughs> that guy looks like the poor man's Rance Howard. <laughs> and it's going through the credits and I see, of course, Richard Jekyll. I'm like, I knew he was in this. I see John Agar. I'm like, that's pretty cool. And it says Rance Howard. I'm like, no, that, uh, that's not the poor man's Rance Howard. That just that's just Rance Howard. He's in this. So <laughs> it kind of surprised me. Um, so this movie is bonkers. It's ridiculous. Um, it's one of these movies that people, it's a crowd movie. And I enjoyed it by myself, but in a crowd, I would have been clapping. I would have standed ovation, even though they can't hear it. But still, I think that um, this is the perfect movie to watch with a group of people. And I don't mean that as an insult because it is an entertaining movie. It has lots of cool stuff going on. First and foremost, Richard Jekyll's always good. Always love him. Very, very good character actor from The Dirty Dozen, The Devil's Brigade, Pat Garrett, and Billy the Kid. Just tons of stuff. And then um, he's in the, what, The Dark and Grizzly and Green Slime. I, you know, he's probably one of the best character actors for me just because he his bore, the movies he's chose to do from westerns to war movies to um, horror films. So he's just one of these guys that always stands out to me. He, he's pretty good in this. Um, the lead in this, not so good, but that kind of makes it funny. Uh, basically, what we have here is this drug organization. Um, the the main kind of enforcer is Mr. No Legs. He is this no legged, a double amputee in a wheelchair, but the wheelchair is, has these two big shotguns on there. So if he hits the button, it's like, and the shotguns pop out, and it, it's just awesome. Actually, it happens a couple times, and the first time it happened, I was like, no. Even though I knew it was going to happen, I was like, that's awesome. I love it. And then he shoots some people. But uh, So anyways, he wants to double cross his boss because his boss is you know uh not treating mr no legs with the respect he thinks he deserves um also what happens is one of the henchmen kind of screws up and and kills his girlfriend who is actually brother or whose brother is a cop the main cop so that kind of leads them onto this case they made it look like an overdose but they know they know better so richard jekyll and this cop start to kind of look into it john agar is the police chief so pretty soon they kind of lead their way to mr no legs after they come across a bunch of weird random assortment of characters including a bunch in this bar where they just found a bunch of strange looking individuals or characters they could find. And it just seems like, um, really weird homegrown stuff where it's just like the bartender's like, oh, it's just like, who are these people? I don't know, but they're ridiculous and they're kind of funny and they're kind of just abnormal acting like just too natural to be actors, but also not good 
at it. So it's, it's kind of a really a funny scene. And it has this big old bar fight scene that seems like it's out of like a um, trying to be like a classic, um, you know, Western bar scene or even something like a latter day, like something like Brannigan has one or Junior Bonner has one of these bar scene fight scenes things. But it's done on a low budget. So, yeah, you, you guys know the bar fights. You've seen them a bunch of times in Westerns and, and kind of action movies. Roadhouse has a million of them. But, uh, yeah, so that kind of ensues but but there's also shootouts and there's squibs going off and people getting blasted um the the worst part about this movie is the final act like the last 10 15 minutes is a car chase and you're thinking what well, car chases back in the day were awesome because they're all live action and it's real and yes it would be but this seems repetitive like i remember seeing like just like close like i actually like watched the whole movie like this on the edge of my seat then the last 10 minutes came and i was like I literally started falling asleep and it became almost comedic because literally like every time you close your eyes for two seconds, like the car would just round, like it seemed like the same corner. It seems like they had 10 minutes, like mostly like actually like three minutes of footage and they had to get it into like 10 minutes. But, uh, yeah. So regardless, um, this is a very entertaining, although ridiculous, uh, movie. Some of the fight scenes are not well done, but, uh, the bar scene I think is well done for what it is. You know, people flying through windows. Um, but it's also kind of tonally weird. Like there'll be really goofy, stupid stuff and then people will get killed. So when a movie's tonally like off like that, it makes the tragedy comedy. Like I said, like, um, sometimes it just comes off off putting where you're like, this is just on bothersome. And other times you're just like, shut up movie, shut up. But I don't think the director did any other movies, but he was the, um, he didn't direct any, I don't think, but he was an actor or a stuntman, so that makes sense. Uh, this is Rico Browning. I think it's the guy who played the creature from Black Lagoon actually directed this movie. He might have directed one more. I'm not sure, but it seemed it, this movie seems very TV. It seems very TV with more violence, like a TV thing, but a TV show stretched into an hour and a half with explicit, explicit violence. But Mr. No Legs is absolutely ridiculous, too. There's a point when he gets out of the chair and he does kung fu, and he's like, and that whole, like, that whole scene's nonsense. But uh, it's got some decent bad guys, right? Lance Howard's one of the drug pushers um, or drug runners, I should say. John Agar's the chief. Richard Jekyll's a good cop. Um, so, yeah, that's what it is. Mr. Lowlegs doesn't really have many features, but it's it's constructed of um, VHS inserts and a 35 uh, master, 35 print, which seems to be the only print in existence. So this is the best you're going to see Mr. Nolegs at. Um, it has subtitles, and, uh, you know, I thought it sounded decent. There was some hiss, but from understanding that this is the only freaking uh, elements available, I'm going to have to live with it. I did enjoy it. It wasn't that distracting. So Mr. Nolegs, recommended for people that like ridiculous things. You are about to see scenes from an unusual film about an amazing man. for not wanting to take a leave of absence, can we, sir? Well, under the circumstances, would you? Not until after I got the killer, sir. <laughs> Something else for you to take care of? This man who called me, I don't have to beat him up, I just pay him money. Says there's a leak in your territory.
start your own operation here? You will never forget Mr. No Legs. Don't miss it. Okay, this next one is from Vinegar Syndrome, and this is Zombie Island Massacre. And this was one that had always been on my radar, because if you guys don't know me as a 10 to 13 year old boy, I was all obsessed with all things zombies. So I basically, right when we got the internet, I printed off a big giant list of zombie movies. And it was like 500 zombie movies, and what would that have been, like 2,000 been before. So basically, I had this giant list I'd carry around of like ridiculous titles like Shanner Dead and Dead is Dead, and I'm sure Zombie Island Massacre was on that, that list. This is also a, a trauma-distributed movie, so I think I had it before. Um, I think it's in one of those packs, but I never watched Zombie Island Massacre, and what's the better best time to watch it is when Vinegar Syndrome puts it out, and it's going to be remastered and pristine. Even if it is a turd, it's going to be a polished turd. So, Zombie Island Massacre is kind of deceitful in its title. You think it's going to be a bunch of people getting massacred by zombies. I would have loved that, like Hell of Loving Dead or something like that. It is not. It is a group of tourists that basically it feels kind of like the set up the hatchet, where they go on this tour in the, um, what, what are the islands they're at? I can't remember. Very very, very designated, you know, uh, tourist attraction islands, Jeez, Caribbean islands. Yeah. So they go on this tour or they end up on this island deserted. And pretty soon there is some kind of weird, they, they witness this ritual where somebody brings a zombie back to life. So they're like, oh, wow, they're all freaked out. And people immediately start getting picked off. A lot of them are killed off screen. And then you find the bodies later. So they get kicked off, uh, picked off relatively quick after they're established. Although they are established, which is more than a lot of slasher films would do. Um, you know, there's a stoner, there's a guy from New York. There's the the big the big breasted girl and her kind of weird boyfriend and and of course there is this silent uh, tough black guy and he, he's friends with one of the other kind of like silent but tough guys. So it's like these two are kind of the main focus and their girlfriends. Well, the one guy's girlfriend and uh, the big bosom girl and her boyfriend. So they're kind of the main people in here. So basically they're wandering through this kind of um, jungle environment, getting picked off, and you don't really see the killer. They don't know who it is. And then um, two-thirds through the movie, um, there's this twist that's kind of stupid, and there's some action and everything like that. Some of the special effects are, you know, they're cheesy, but they work. Um, when they're there, a lot of it is off screen, but there is, you know, some people getting their head bashed in, a head getting hacked off. And of course the music is done by, is it, I don't want to mess this up. Um, I always confuse Mancini and Manfredini because they're obviously two different composers, but basically the one who did Friday the 13th, I think it's Mancini. I almost want to double check myself here because I'm sure he'll be on the back because yeah, uh, Manfredini is the one who did this one here. Mancini's the one who did Life Force and everything. So Manfredini, I think so. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Mad Franini, who did this Friday 13th score, and basically this is just a Friday 13th score, all the same kind of sound beats and everything like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they just kind of asked him to do the score on real cheap, and he just said, yeah, sure, and he had like some backtracks or from other movies that he worked on, and he just kind of pieced it together or something like that. But um, the score is effective. That kind of stuff always works when you're walking through, you know, a dark, you know, scary area, and you hear the pop, 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 and everything like that, and so that that's decent. Um, like I said this movie's okay it, it killed an hour and 28 minutes and i have no complaints it was it looks so good it was remastered so well that you're like this should never look this good but i'm happy it does because if it wasn't it would be worse uh you know that it looks so clean and sounds so good it makes it easier to watch for me i, I don't know how to explain that because it's as it's, it's beautiful looking you know because in the environment the water the trees everything like that but um it's okay movie 
Um, I hated the twist. I just thought it was kind of stupid and pointless uh, and just whatever. I don't know why you did it. You didn't really need it. I don't know if you're trying to set yourself apart from other slasher movies, but it didn't really help. Um, the location is the only thing different about it. But Zombie Island Massacre, if it sounds like it's up your alley, um, if you're a slasher completist, this is, our, you know, what is it, 83, 84? This is a slasher. This isn't a zombie movie. So check it out if you uh, want to check it out. We cordially invite you to escape to a marvelous tropical paradise. It's an island of peaceful beaches and happy tourists. Welcome to beautiful Zombie Island. Come on, grab a seat on our air-conditioned Zombie Island tour bus. I think I can safely promise you a tour you'll never forget. So refresh yourself and get ready for the fun-filled excitement of Zombie Island Massacre. In Zombie Island Massacre, you'll witness ancient voodoo ceremonies. And if you're very lucky, and for no extra charge, you might even get to participate in these picturesque rituals. So come on down. Sample the world-famous zombie island cuisine. Cannibalism. German, French, and Italian. All on cannibalism. Yes, Zombie Island Massacre, where young lovers take fun-filled vacations of terror. Torture. Violence. Zombie Island Massacre, where you can take a nature walk through the lush tropical jungle. Zombie Island Massacre, where you can take a moonlit swim in crystal clear freshwater streams. The best snorkeling in the free world, where a healthy midnight jog brings you back to your tranquil luxury accommodations. You won't believe your senses when you find out the blood-curdling truth behind Zombie Island Massacre. The producers of Zombie Island Massacre are proud to feature international superstar Rita Jenrette. Yes, you must visit Zombie Island, playground of the very rich. Zombie Island is the beautiful people's favorite hotspot. On romantic Zombie Island, You'll lose your heart. You'll also lose your head. Ah! Zombie Island Massacre. It's a one-way ticket to a fun-filled vacation of terror, torture, and violence. Zombie Island Massacre. Okay, this next one is a Patreon pick from Ricky Riley, and he picked Venus and Furs. Is it? Is it? <laughs> the song in this movie got stuck in my head right after I watched it. Um, this is directed by Jess Franco from 1969, and um, it is not based off the novel Venus and Furs. They basically just wanted to name it Venus and Furs uh, so they could get more uh, people attracted to it. Harry Towers, I think, probably produced this. He produced some of the Fu Manchu movies that Franco produced, and he produced tons of stuff. I want to say he might have been one of the guys behind stuff like um, Sinful Dwarf, was he? I'm not 100%, but this guy was, you know, an exploitation kind of king. So, anyways, Jess Franco directed this one, and early Jess Franco is very 
much different from the latter day Jess Franco. And Jess Franco will give you what you give him. So if he has a low budget, you're going to get a very low budget. But the, it depends. All his movies are low budget, but the more expensive they are, he actually does a better job. Franco can do a lot with a little. And he, he can make a movie with nothing. So, although it does seem like it was made with nothing sometimes, this one I thought was really kind of a very capable movie. I was very happy with this one. So, it opens up with this kind of jazz singer. He's kind of wandering the beach, and he seems confused and out of it. He doesn't know what happened, and he's just out of out of sorts. And this body comes washed uh, on the shore, and he, he doesn't know who it is at first. It's this beautiful woman, naked, and then he starts to register that he knows her. And we kind of flash back to this whole story and everything like that and we see this whole giant story unfold and that woman is kind of um he, he had witnessed something bad happen to her and she's possibly pretty much dead. He witnessed her be murdered and uh, now he's seeing the body and he doesn't know when he witnessed that. It seems to have been years ago so all the timelines are kind of screwed up but uh, basically what unfolds is um, him kind of being obsessed with this girl later on and uh, her kind of going around and, and starting a relationship but he also has a relationship with a singer on the side and Jess Franco actually he's on the special features on here and he talks about originally wanting the jazz singer to be played by an African-American and the, the love interest be a white female but the producers wouldn't do it so he made one of the love interests of the jazz musician in this movie um, a black female so that's what he could get away with and she actually sings the, the titular song in here um, and does it really good um, Venus in furs it's just the song gets stuck in your head and she does a great job with it so like I, I really like the idea of using the jazz setback um, you know the back the thing of jazz it, it just feels so well with a murder mystery I don't know how to explain it it feels a little high class too because a lot of these giallo movies it's not a Jello movie, but like I said, it could be kind of taken as a murder mystery and just the backdrop of the jazz stuff and the high class people. It just fits perfect for the murder mystery because you have these rich elitist types, but also they're perverted pieces of shit. And that's just very European sentiment in horror movies again. So I'm um, even hammering before so anyways um it appears that the f three or four people that had treated her wrong start to end up uh being killed and and the way they use mirrors in this um is perfect um there's a scene where one of the characters is confronted with all these mirror images of the woman and he kind of just is overcome with his um you know lust and he has a heart attack um, and so, so that scene was really great how they shot it with the mirrors there's like a lot of great shots in here um, set design's great um, and it's an interesting story and, it, and structurally it's told in a great way and it has a nice ending too and it, it, the ending feels right it's kind of haunting movie for sure but Klaus Kinski is in here Dennis Price is in here those are the two names that stand out to me Dennis Price was in a bunch of Hammer movies you recognize him right away he's very good in this one um, so is Klaus Kinski um, he's always crazy um, Jess Franco uh, had a great story on this disc and he was like and this is the same thing that Joe D'Amato said about Klaus Kinski people are like they said the guy was hard to work with I did seven movies with him I didn't have much of a problem with the guy and and, and maybe it's just because Joe D'Amato doesn't have time to deal with the stuff if, if maybe Klaus Kinski was like, I'm not doing this. He'd be like, okay, don't do it. I don't give a shit. And, and like, Jess Franco, too, was pretty just was so busy. Like, I can just imagine Jess Franco being like, right, go ahead, do it. I don't care what you do. Like, just, but there's this point where he talks about, he's like, I think that Klaus Kinski kind of respected me because he thought I was crazy. And, and, um, and he said this, and, and he was like, Klaus Kinski said, everybody calls me crazy, but you're crazier. And Jess Franco's like, no, I'm not. No. No, you're you're crazy, like basically, and I just love that story because like, you can tell, like, just for I don't know, it's just some of these directors can get away with shit like that others wouldn't. Like I could see like Spielberg or somebody like big, like 
like just having such a terrible time with somebody like Klaus Kinski. But like Joe D'Amato and just Franco are just so used to horrible conditions all the time that Klaus Kinski probably is nothing to them. Like he's like, yeah, it's whatever. It's just some guy that just has crazy eyes and he's annoying me slightly. This is nothing compared to I gotta sh I gotta get 45 shots done and I gotta get 45 setups done in an hour and a half. So you know, anyways, I was really happy with this one. Um, it looked pretty good just for a DVD from Blue Underground, and I recommend checking this one. I thought I had a Blu-ray. I was like, oh, I think I have this on Blu-ray, and I looked and I was like, no, that's She Killed Ecstasy and Vampire Lesbos. So no Blu-ray. I definitely hope this one gets a Blu-ray release because it's a good-looking movie and a good uh, story. And like I said, it's not based on Venus and Furs. It only has the woman in the fur coat dragging it across the floor naked, and that's just put in there so they could call it Venus and Furs and sell copies. It started high on a lonely note. It all started that day on the beach near Istanbul. Or did it? It started the instant you saw her. blowing high on a lonely trumpet drifts from Istanbul to Rio de Janeiro but he can't erase a vision of death and beauty even a love like he has never known or dared imagine can make him forget tell me how did she hook your mind just how tell me please Show me. Let my hands be her hands. As if an unworldly desire could create reality, his vision is real. His Venus in furs is alive. Who are you? I don't know. Who is she? Tell me the truth. I don't know. She is Wanda. She is his Venus in furs. She is alive. And the coat that covers paradise uncovers hell. Venus in furs will be smiling. Did she return from hell to take her murderers back? Or was this hell? I know you. I met you a long time ago. Together. We're united in death. This elusive Venus. Is she the sex symbol of a wild fantasy? We escaped from the real world into a dream world that I never wanted to end. Everything ended a long time ago. Venus in furs. A masterpiece of supernatural sex. A frightening trip into the unknown by the unknowing. Venus 
okay, this next one is from 1962. It's directed by Frank Perry. It's a Patreon pick from Jeremy from 22 Shots. And this is David and Lisa. This is a black and white movie. It looks really good. Um, Frank Perry is a name that I've heard a lot, but I don't think I've ever covered one of his movies on here. And David and Lisa, makes this, this whole movie makes me wonder, I should have done some research, if this was kind of a play or a book beforehand, just to set up. And I know there was one made later down the line. So I'm starting to think that this one possibly was maybe like a play or something like that. So, um... This is a really great uh, psychological character study. David is um, a really intelligent, highly intelligent person that is very socially awkward and very socially distant. Emotionally distant is what um, I would say. So he gets sent to this kind of special home to learn the special school that is filled with people with lots of problems, including Lisa, who has um, schizophrenia, and she only talks in rhymes. David is very uptight, and he doesn't like anyone touching him. He thinks that you're trying to kill him if you touch him. He's very paranoid. Um, he doesn't. Ha he has a terrible um, you know, relationship with his parents, and he has a terrible rapport with everyone. He treats them very poorly. He talks down on them, including the psychologist, who clearly is trying to help them. He clearly has some sort of, um, you know, uh, care for David. And he takes kind of a, you know, um, a major kind of look at him. You know, he takes a very, you know, big approach towards him. He starts to focus a lot of energy on him. And David kind of opens up a little bit. So, like, seeing this character, at first I wanted to punch him in the face. And then you start to learn his psychology more and start to understand him a little bit better. And you start to really like him. And you start to pull for him. And the same with Lisa. Like I said, Lisa speaks only in rhymes. And she has this childlike quality. But there's so much more there. And over time, these two start to form this kind of friendship. And, uh, and I really like this one. And by the end of the film, I was very touched. Um, it's really emotional. And I didn't know where it was going to end, if it was going to end super tragic and super sad. Or it could take a lot of different ways. Um, the acting's all great uh, from everybody in this movie. And uh, it's just a very easy watch. Very well acted. Very, the dialogue is great. Um, it's shot really nice. It's a pretty looking movie. It's an emotionally uh, strong movie. It's just very good. Um, and the acting. The acting, like I said, it really helps with this one. Who's the... Who's Who's the female in here? Tuesday Weld. I, I think it's her. I can't be 100%. Um, and uh, the actor is in a bunch of stuff too, but I don't know his name off the top of my head. But I also really like the psychologist. And, and there's these weird dreams that David has with the clock and about time running out and his enemies being killed by time and him, him kind of controlling that. Just lots of stuff going on here. Just interesting stuff. And um, finally, when he does kind of like you see his backstory and stuff, you understand him a little bit more. And yeah, this is a really great film. I'm glad Jeremy picked it. Really good stuff, David and Lisa.
Okay, the next Patreon pick here is Carved, The Slitmouth Woman, and this is by Chris Rivers, and this is a Tartan uh, Asian Extreme. I had never seen this one. I had heard, you know, a little bit about, you know, The Slitmouth Woman and, and other stories. I think Dustin did a short about it. So I, I had known a little bit. I didn't know the actual real, you know, myth or story about it, but uh, this one I really liked. Um, Besides being just um, a kind of scary kind of ghost story, even though it is kind of not necessarily a ghost story, more a possession story, this is a, a movie a lot about a relationship between a child and their parents. And um, they, they play a lot of scares into that, too. So in the opening of this movie, this girl, she has uh, had to go to school. And she's wearing a mask and everybody starts making fun of her that she's a slip mouthed woman. But it turns out she was actually abused by her parents. And one of the teachers comes back and, you know, starts to talk to her about things like that. And I thought that was really kind of impressive to have that approach. But the teacher also has this history. So essentially what happens is this slip mouth girl starts picking this woman. She has this slit down her mouth and she starts abducting children and they'll find them dead later or they won't find them at all. It's up to this teacher who has an interest in it because she has a history with her kid. And um, I, I can't think of what the other guy, he's also a teacher who has a history with everything like that. They both are trying to figure out this. It turns out one of the teachers actually thinks he knows who the slip mouth woman is while the other teacher like I said has a history of you know child abuse um, so that makes it very interesting it makes these characters very gray in a lot of ways especially the female teacher but um, I just thought it was intense for how the slip mouth woman um, came to be because at certain points she is a ghost but she's jumping in the bodies and that makes it absolutely horrifying that one minute it's your mom She's jumping in the mouse bodies, and then the next minute, it's a slip mouth woman, and she's right there. So it's such a bizarre way, a bizarre way to handle things. And any movie that has kids getting killed, it's got guts. Um, so that makes it even scarier. Most of this movie shot in the broad daylight, too. So, again, it kind of impressed me that it's a horror movie that is genuinely has some disturbing stuff and scary stuff, and it's shot all in, all in the daylight. So that, that also kind of made it interesting. And then we have the kids kind of, you know, going around spreading the rumors of the slip mouth woman that this person disappeared here and everything like that. Kind of reminds me a little bit of a Freddy Krueger story with the kids kind of being scared of that. And these are young kids, too. These are like 8 to like 15. So, yeah, anyways, I would really recommend checking this one out. I don't want to spoil it too much, but... Um, I said a lot about it already. Probably did spoil it. But um, the slip mouth woman actually looks great. Like, And uh, sometimes they have CGI when she opens her mouth. I thought it looked good for the most part. But um, yeah, everything comes together really well. The way it's unfolded and they give you hints at everything. And by the end of the movie, it all comes together and everything makes sense to me at least. And I just really like this one. I would recommend checking it out. Very creepy ghost story. And uh, the shears that the uh, slip mouth woman used are a really kind of a good weapon. Because <laughs> you got the sound with it and uh, the sudden chop. Like, it just, I think it works really well.
Okay, let's do this uh, run through 91. And the first one is going to be Dead Space. This is a Corman movie. It is an hour and 12 minutes. That's what I like to see right on a lot of these cheap sci-fi movies. So this movie has a lot of science. And a lot of the science makes absolutely no sense to me. I don't even know what's going on through it. And I, if I were to watch The Terror Within 2 and this one back-to-back, -back, both from 91, I don't think I could differentiate the two, to be honest. So um, I don't even remember who's in this one. Is it Michael Paré? It's somebody like that. It's not Michael Paré. It's somebody. I got to look. I got to cheat. I wanted to say Michael Paré should have been in it. Oh, it's Mark Singer. Sorry, guys. It's Mark Singer. So essentially what happens here is Mark Singer and his robot, which is the coolest part of the movie, he has like a robot friend that hangs out with him and does a lot of the work get a distress signal to show up to this uh ship or is it a lab it's a ship i think that had some sort of viral outbreak on there and they get a distress signal to go help everyone basically what happened on this ship is a virus broke out but it turned into a creature i don't know how it turns into a creature or what the hell they're doing exactly uh brian cranston's in here too as a mad scientist kind of so essentially a creature breaks out and it's running around the ship picking people off but also weird viruses going through where people are sick i don't know what the hell how a viral thing has uh you know manifested into a physical being or i missed something but I, i'm just not going to worry about it because the science is nonsense anyways regardless the creature picks people off a lot of the times the creature is very stiff it kind of looks like a beelzebub from a rock and roll nightmare where it's just like this except it's bigger and more elaborate and better but a lot of times it's just not doing much just kind of a giant puppet which i like i'm not going to really complain about it but it's not very effective in some time in some ways so anyways it, it rips people apart there's some gore effects here somebody's head gets bitten completely off and it's awesome but uh yeah mark singer is okay i guess Brian Cranston's okay. The robot friend that he has, I love. Uh, he's, he's really cool, and he's the best part of the movie. A little bit interesting part of the movie, too. And at one point, um, something happens to that robot, and I was like, you know, I don't even want to finish this movie. I don't even want to finish it. But don't worry. Don't fret, guys. There is a happy ending. So, um, at least for the robot. Um, spoiler. Sorry. Um, anyways, uh, you can watch this on Shout Factory TV or get the DVD double feature that comes with The Tear Within One, which has George Kennedy in it. Isn't it? Isn't it a crazy world we live in when The Tear Within One doesn't have a Blu-ray, but The Tear Within Two does have a Blu-ray? Isn't it weird that The Tear Within Two even has a Blu-ray? But anyways, uh, Dead Space, um, not great, but just very mediocre sci-fi movie. It's very short, though, so it's kind of just like popping in and, yeah, whatever. Um, and there is a really cool part when the monster does get killed and two little monsters pop out of its back like, Meh, and then just start running away. I was like, yeah, that was cute. That was fun. Scientists experimenting in deepest space have released a deadly new life form. Frank. Frank, what's happening? Where'd you say that distress call was coming from? From a research lab on the planet Fabon. We don't have sufficient reason to terminate the experiment. Are you telling me this is a false alarm? It is not a monster. What the hell do you call it? I think it's time I took a look at your monster. He's a fool if he thinks he can stop it. Rick, you did weak. I am not weak. I did. Mark Singer in Dead Space. 
Okay, this next one from 91 is The Holy Virgin vs. The Evil Dead. That's a ridiculous title. So anyways, the opening of this movie is awesome. Um, this teacher is kind of uh, camping with a bunch of his students, and all of a sudden, the moon goes blood red. It turns into a blood moon. And I was like, what the hell? Everything is like a red tint, and this, like, like I don't know what it is, like a necromancer, badass vampire demon pops out of the grave and just starts ripping apart all the, all the people. In fact, it starts like killing everybody and it's up to the college professor to try to stop him so they start fighting in kung fu and shit and i was like this is awesome and like the vampire is just like ripping off the woman's clothes before it bites him i'm like i don't i don't know why you gotta rip off the it's just like a, a fruit where you gotta peel it or something like before you bite them but he does like i don't want any cotton in my mouth or something i don't know um we know why they're doing it though as the audience so like we know what you're doing but uh yeah so anyways um nobody believes that this teacher he survives the the vampire guy runs away nobody believes that this teacher is innocent. Um, in fact, he runs into a couple cops, but he has a friend on the inside that kind of helps him out here, like a journal, like a private eye, and maybe another cop who kind of believe him because... One of the cops on the case is actually dating his ex-wife, but his partner absolutely is one of these gung-ho. She's like this badass female cop who's like a Charles Bronson who's like, I don't care what you did. She's just basically, you know, breaking the law, beating people up and stuff like that. So they don't believe him, but at some point he um, convinces them through another like person that there is some sort of weird ancient curse or something. And this blood demon is uh, kind of going around killing people, but he answers to somebody else. And they lead to this uh, bad guy who's kind of pulling the strings and controlling everything. And he has kidnapped the ex-wife of him and the cop's girlfriend. So um, they both go after him. The private eye goes after him. And they have to fight the, the devil, demon guy, a bunch of soldiers that they control, and a village nearby that is suffering from the impact of these monsters. Basically joins in with them. And there's like a princess there that has all these powers, like the wind powers. And they all team up. And it turns into a kung fu weird horror extravaganza i really liked it i thought the special effects were cool the lightning effects the eye like kind of glowing effects and the opening is amazing like if, they, if it would have kept that pace of the opening this would have been like a four and a half just because the idea that just starting off right off the bat like it's like this creature rises from the grave and it just starts ripping people apart i was like what the f i was like this is awesome and then you know it kind of slows down a little bit gets the plot going and i by the end of it i thought it was pretty cool there's plenty of action plenty of crazy things plenty of fights and everything pretty solid action horror film um hong kong one of course the uh, holy virgin versus the undead
嘅記載。嗱，佢話大約係公元八百年之前，古真烈王爺拔摩二世在位嘅時候，真烈國曾經發生過大災難、大海嘯同大地震，個月亮突然間變成紅色。月亮變成紅色。你班族点会咁样？唔知，我唔准知Okay, this next one from '91 is by Adam Rifkin,、um, and this is from Detroit Rock City. This is the Devil、uh, Dark Backward. For some reason, I call it Devil's Backbone, but this is the Dark Backward. This movie is ridiculous. Not really a horror movie, but it feels like、um, I don't even know how to explain this.、Um, street Trash meets David Lynch, or Trauma meets David Lynch. It's just weird and gross and strange. So、uh, yeah, I actually watched this on Amazon Prime. So. Okay. Uh, geez, this is Judd Nelson. Is this a wannabe comic, stand-up comic? He's absolutely horrible. He's really awkward. He's really weird. His best friend is Bill Paxton, who is maniacal in this role. All he does is laugh and just eat gross shit. They're both garbage men,、um, but. He just always is encouraging Judd Nelson in his comedic endeavors because Judd Nelson goes at night and performs, and nobody laughs at his jokes, and the whole crowd is just seems like a miserable group of people that are out of a David Lynch movie that just stare at him and don't laugh, and his jokes are awful and don't really make any sense. It's just a, it's so awkward and tedious to, ugh, it's just uncomfortable as hell to watch. So, anyways,、um, Bill Paxton one day. Convinces Wayne Newton, who's this、uh, kind of a booker or a manager, to come see his act. Wayne Newton's not happy with it.、Um, he thinks it's the biggest piece of shit ever. And then, for no entire reason, maybe it's all the weird toxic waste or gro- gross, nasty products they sell and people eat in this world,、um, because that's kind of what they're going. They have like liquid bacon. It's just all sorts of nasty advertising shit you see in the, the garbage dump and everything like that. And the whole world looks like a cesspool, like it's been taken over by garbage, and everybody seems like a garbage person. So. Maybe that's why、um, Judd Nelson has the third arm grow out of his back. But for some reason, that、um, they see this,、um, Bill Paxton says, "You're going to be huge now. You're going to be a big star." So he takes him to Wayne Newton, shows him the arm, and Wayne Newton's like, "Oh, that's great. That's a real arm." So they start booking him everywhere, and he starts to get some momentum, even though he never really has success.、Um, and there's this really weird moment with Rob Lowe, and he's super creepy. But、um, the movie, I think, really is just a big statement on Hollywood: how they don't want you. And then they want you for a second, but then it's over, and your best friend will backstab you, and、um, you kind of have to go through a bunch of shit to be ever successful. I think that's kind of what it's going for, or you have to have experiences of misery to even have any good stories to be a comedian. 
Um, but anyways, that's what kind of the main message I think is. And I don't really love watching this. This isn't a very enjoyable watch for me. It's really awkward and gross and weird. But I do think it's good. And I do think it's interesting. So I probably rate it higher than I actually like it. But um, super weird movie. And you got to see it for yourself. It's really kind of unique. Um, Bill Paxton is just insane and just over the top as hell and he's always playing the accordion when uh marty's on stage that's judd nelson and judd nelson's also really really um frail in this movie he lost a lot of weight and i don't know if it was just to be the character or maybe he lost it so he could fit in the suit and the arm could stick out his back but he is really tiny and, and really weird and the whole movie is just on comfort bill as hell Ladies and gentlemen, uh, won't you please uh, give a warm welcome to the comedy stylings of uh, Mr. Marty Malt. Marty Malt has to be the worst stand-up comic I have ever had the misfortune to see. What are you being so picky for? I'm reminded tonight of something that happened to me the other day. I went to the post office to get some stamps. Even you didn't laugh. I was laughing on the inside. You're not funny, Martin. Oh, you got a bike, man. What? Oh, I'm on your back, a bug bite or something. The doctor will see you now. His real problem is we, we, we could always cut it off. <laughs> and this giant boot came down from the ceiling and stabbed me on the head. Marty, what happened? Look, look at your lung. I am sick and tired of you little mama boys coming in here every time you have an abrasion or a hand going on the back or whatever. This act Look, Marty, it's all over between the two of us. I can't love a man with three hands. You can have your pick of either Shirley or Pickles, <laughs> both drunk and ready to be taken advantage of. <laughs> Ooh. Do I have a headache? like to book him on next week's show. Keep in mind that a limo will be waiting for you. We're going to Hollywood! Starring Judd Nelson. My name is Marty Maul. Bill Paxton. It's Gussie Pussy. Wayne Newton. Yes, uh, Jackie Chrome. Lara Flynn Boyle. I love you, Marty Maul. James Kahn. I'm a doctor. Rob Lowe. Dirk Delta. The Dark Backward. We're going to Hollywood, and we're going to be big stars. That's my boy! That's my boy! Hollywood. Okay, this next one is kind of a dull, a two-for-one. It's a 91 movie, but it's also the, uh, I'm going to regret this. So I squeezed this one in because I knew it had an extreme nature. I think it was supposed to be released by Massacre Video down the line. I don't know if that's still coming. But um, this is Oster Montag. Um, and this is by the same director who did, what is that movie? Um, das Krul, uh Brutal, uh, the, the, the one on Earth put out, the, the weird German splatter. So Oster Montag. This really is just 
I feel like high schoolers who got together and sat down and said, what is the grossest, most ridiculous, insane movie we can make? And this is, um, we got $100 or something, $200, and this is what they made. Um, the opening of this movie has this woman um, murdered, like the snuff film kind of deal. And uh, it opens up with like 10 warnings where it's like, this is footage found used in a court case. And then the way it's shot, none of it makes sense. Like we have a person thinking in a flashback. I'm like, this is not used in a court case because people can don't have flashbacks and fucking videotapes and found footage tapes. I don't know what the hell's going on. This makes no sense. So right then I knew that the set the president where this was not going to make any fucking sense. Um, so pretty soon, like there's some nonsense about this guy who had killed this woman and got sent to prison and now he's getting released. And um, they warned this uh, people that live in this uh, apartment that he used to live there and he might come back there. Um, and then there's this weird scene where like a couple like crazy guys, I think one of them's the guy, beat these people to death in a hallway. And uh, at one point, Point, somebody gets hit in the face with a bat and like half their face falls off and the face falls in the ground. It's just like a plaster face. I was like, I started laughing, but, um, yeah, so it's just really weird. And essentially what it is, is this guy just kind of torturing him and this other guy torturing this girl. And, um, it, and they basically, it's just like really gross and, and kind of boring and pointless at the same time where they play these games where they'll try to kick as many people, all the people they have in the house or torture a bunch of people in like a, in their time it. So basically there's three of them. And by the end of it, um, the guy uh, ends up just screwing her to death with a knife. And it sounds really graphic and it is graphic, but it's not as graphic as you would think, to be honest. So, but you get the point, you get the point. Um, so it's that kind of extreme stuff, but there's also just really stupid stuff and argument and characters not doing, I don't even know who the hell they are. It's just sloppy and messy and incoherent and inept and just not good. Not good. Not a good movie. Um, people are going to watch it just to see the extreme nature to a certain extent. And the end of the movie, you finally see the whole snuff film that got him sent to prison in the first place. And there's a twist in the film. But uh, that is actually the most um, intense and gross stuff in the movie. Um so basically what happens is it's just um, a really... I, I'm going to spoil this because it's the only thing that I think anybody who's in extreme films that's into the gross shit would want to hear about. I mean, it, and if you're not into that stuff, then fast forward. But it's really nasty. So it, it's a rape. But um, the person ends up shooting a gun up the person's private parts and then going to town. Um, and there's like um, fecal matter that had leaked out. And the bullet wound went out the person's back. And when the person ejaculates, a bunch of ejaculate comes out of their spinal cord where the bullet hole is. So yeah, it's really gross, but, um, it's also very stupid and kind of boring. So at the same time, it's just like, I don't, whatever. I mean, it's not that I, it's just like, so at the end of the day, do I come to regret it? Um, it's not a good movie. It was pretty gross. A couple times I said, Oh wow. Nasty. Um, I don't regret it cause it was in 91 and I'm glad I watched it just because, you know, it's one other one that you're like, I saw it, I watched it, but I don't think it's a good movie. I wouldn't recommend it really. I wouldn't, it's not very good, but, um, I don't, I don't know if it's something that crosses the line to where I would say I regretted it. Um, cause it's very short too. In fact, this DVD I put in, um, it didn't have English subtitles and I was like, shit. So I basically had to go find English subtitles and it also said it was two hours and 16 minutes. And I was like, this movie's only supposed to run an hour and five. So I basically found it online to watch at the hour and five minutes because there was no way I was watching a two hour and 18 minute version of Ostermontag SOV German splatter movie from 1991. That wasn't very good. There's no way in hell. And I imagine this DVD might actually be just, you know, special features at the end because it started off the same, but I wasn't a hundred percent sure if this was going to be like an extra long snuff, a snuff release or something 
something because the way the opening like warning things made it seem like this was a longer version and i was like um yeah there's no way i'm gonna watch every slice of footage they shot for this thing um this, this is like the work print of ostermontag fuck no so um I, I actually don't think it is so i think it's probably just the hour and maybe some special features i don't know um somebody that has that release let me know or knows a lot about the movie but i, I just can't recommend this one really it's, it's not very good all right we're here for blind spot this was jeremy's pick Again, it's another movie he picked from the um, opening of Rocky or Fincher Show. But I think they were singing about the 30s serial. This is yes. this is the 1980 movie by Mike Hodges. Flash Gordon. Uh, ah! Stop. Ah, the Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah. no, honestly, though, if anybody's ever seen this movie, right when you say Flash Gordon, I think you just have to sing it. And I think you have to say, ah, right. ah, ah. Um, I had never seen this either, which is really horrible, I know. And I know a little bit about it. I know that there was the porn parody made in the 70s, Flesh Gordon, okay. and a sequel to that. Um, I was excited to watch this. Um, it stars Sam Jones, who's really not that big of an actress. It's kind of supposed to be a big breakthrough, but um, mm-hmm. didn't really go as planned. Um, Max von Sydow is in here. Um, I can't think of the guy who plays Vulcan, Brian Bless. Something like that. He's, he's fantastic. fantastic. Yes. He's probably the best part about it. So, like we said, this is based off like a 30s comic strip and serial and all that stuff, which mm-hmm. I'm not too familiar with. I know the name Flash Gordon. But anyways, he's a football player from Earth, and um, Ming the Merciless uh, is attacking Earth with all sorts of things like earthquakes and hot hail. Hot hail. Hot hail. So, anyways, there's this crazy scientist named Dr. Zorkoff. Zarkov? Yeah, yes. Zarkov. And he wants to try to stop it, so he ends up getting going up into space, but he takes um, Flash Gordon and, I, I can't think, what's she, a um, reporter or something? Yeah, I think she was a reporter. Journalist. She's a journalist. Yeah. And they end up launching up to space to face Ming the Merciless. They run a, they find some weird society where everybody worships him because he's mm-hmm. like this emperor and uh, runs it. Timothy Dalton's one of the characters up there. So I, it's just a super fun fantasy movie. Yeah, or oh, has uh, Richard O'Brien in it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's very small role. Very small role. Kind of wasted. To yeah, be absolutely. But um, <clears throat> I really enjoyed this. I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought this one was a lot of fun. Again, I didn't know that much about Flash Gordon. I had watched a cartoon as a kid a little bit. Um, yeah, I forgot there was a cartoon, and I I feel like they made toys because I recognize some yeah. of those characters. Yeah, there were, there were some toys. Were um, there toys? I wouldn't bet my life on it, but I feel like there was. I feel like that there were. Um, but you know, it's it's just one of those things where it's like I only know of it based from just like pop cult- culture references. Yeah, 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 like the osmosis of things. Like I've never seen like buck rogers or anything like that and i i assume that yeah. flash gordon buck, uh, buck rogers were in the same vein but really not from at least what this movie's portraying this is a weird movie this is like <clears throat> it feels like the precursor to so many things especially yeah. masters of the universe for me it and seems, star wars it seems like a more realized master of the universe um and star wars that's the 30 series if it's anything like this yeah but it's definitely a star wars uh influence whatever uh, Flash Gordon influenced Star Wars, or Star Wars influenced Flash Gordon. But definitely, he's they're definitely related. In I, some I should mention that we watched the Arrow 4K um, yes. edition, and it looked fantastic. The colors mm-hmm. are great. It's a very colorful movie too. Yeah. So 4K really kind of does does it some advantages as well. Um, I don't know. This this is a really fun movie. Um, like I said, the bad guys are really... Um, all the characters are so well thought out. The set designs are perfect. The different planets are great or areas they go to. Mm-hmm. Um, like, they have different kind of, uh, you know, like... I don't want to say species because they're not species, but they kind of are. 
Yeah. Because they have, like, wings. The Hawkmen, and, that, and then they have, like, the tree kind of people that the live tree, in the forest. Like, people. There's just so much stuff in here that, like, I could see how influential it was. And I wish I read the comic strip and, like, the old serial, I think, that I would know a little bit more, you know, even predate before this. Right, but, you know, I think that there is an enjoyment in watching this movie without having that knowledge. Yeah. Like, I had no connection. So. Yeah, so I, I went in blind, not really knowing what to expect, and, like... It was really entertaining. The the one bad guy, the the one that's not me, uh, has the metal face. Claudius or something? Yeah, I think it's yeah, Claudius or something. Yeah, you he mean is, Destro? Yeah, he is fantastic. <laughs> I he's, feel like Joe took the bad guys from. He's a he's like a more realized Doctor Doom. Like he's the best version yeah. of Doctor Doom you're ever going to get. Yeah, they should have just put him in the in yeah. the Fantastic Four movie. I, and and there you go. And like like not even like. Like, literally just, like, cut this film up, all of his scenes, and insert them into yeah. the Fantastic Four movie over Doctor Doom. Like, you wouldn't there, even know There's the also a huge comedy element. Yeah. Like, it's almost like like he's making a joke of the subject matter. Because right. Mike Hodges, the director, he also did Black Rainbow, which Arrow put out. Really good movie, too. Completely different. Completely different. It's like a dark supernatural drama. Mm -hmm. But, um... Literally, what's so strange is like he—I think he knew the source material, but he just—he he mentioned he's like, "I'm totally wrong to direct this movie," is what he right. said. So the idea that I think he had to put his own touches on there, and it's kind of almost like a comedy or over the top, especially like they have these really dumb guards, like stormtroopers, if you will, and they have multiple different kinds. But there's these ones that are really dumb, and they—they they wear these masks, and they can mm -hmm. barely move, and like they're right. just cannon fodder for everybody, mm -hmm. and it's—it's it's hilarious. Like one time, one gets shot, and he. <laughs> He it's squeals it, it, right and but i think they, they then proceed to like cower in a corner and get shot again yeah the, the, the another one they just are so easy to shoot it's very funny right but um i do like uh sam jones i didn't really know what to expect of him because i hadn't yeah. really seen him in anything and i was like it's so weird that he like somebody i i'm not super familiar with is starring in such a big kind of cult movie mm -hmm. and it's nice that the arrow disc included um the special edition included a second disc on there which is life after flash which follows the story of all the everybody involved with it who still lives talking about flash gordon mm -hmm. and uh everything on there and that that was a really interesting doc you get to see a lot of sam jones life and um they get really personal at one point and yeah. i felt bad because like there's always that moment in documentaries when you learn behind people I know it makes you like sympathize or like him more, but at the same time, I'm like, do you kind of watch him like almost break down when he's talking about like this horrible shit that happened to his family? It's almost exploitative. Every documentary has that moment too, where like you got the guy in camera, the girl, the person on camera, and they're like, now why don't you tell us about how your your dad got his head cut off in a car accident? <laughs> he's like, I, 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 <laughs> they always do that. They put him on the spot. <clears throat> it is about him and Flash Gordon, so it makes sense. But that's that's mm -hmm. a huge part of this. There's also a couple episodes of the uh, show oh, on the here. Yes, bunch of commentaries, bunch of making ofs, and like uh, live stuff at like con conventions. The disc is loaded. Both the yeah. disc. Um, and it has like a booklet and stuff. It's just a really great addition. Besides that, but um, I was gonna say we watch the um. Just the one document. We, yeah. we watched a little bit of the cartoon, yeah. too, which I promptly walked out of after, like, five minutes. I'm like, I, I got it. It's I got fine. it. You got it. Yeah. Um, but, no, that documentary, um, again, uh, Voltan, the Birdman. He was he, hilarious he, in it. Yeah. And, and even, like, as we're interviewing him, like, 20 years later, he has, like, all this energy and all and this he's hitting table. He's telling these great stories where he's like, Flash Gordon is alive! Right. <laughs> and he and, was so funny and he was so dirty, too. Oh, yeah, and he was fantastic in the actual um, yeah. movie, too. He just had, like, like his energy was just all the way he's up He's perfect. Here. He reminds me of, like, a more energized Sean Connery or John Rhys Davies. 
who's like the you know like you need like a big barrel chested like guy who has right. a, like that like I can be the king you know. But I just like how the whole thing comes together and the human, of course, teaches the other people. You know, the human may be physically the weakest with no powers, mm -hmm. but he has this, you know, this loyalty and this self-sacrifice right. that the other people don't seem to understand. They don't. You know, everybody's just kind of like... We don't want to risk it. No, like, yeah. and the human is one that takes risks. Oh, and uh, Max von Sydow is great in it. Yeah, and it's such a weird role for him from being mm -hmm. in like, you know, I would say that somebody. It's it's kind of like this is like the bigger version of Frank Langella playing Skeletor in Master yeah. of 1985 because he's like a very classically trained actor that you would think. I doubt he would say yes to this, but he might have been involved with the comic strip when he was growing Maybe. up. Maybe he yeah. knew of it, but it's just funny, and he does a fantastic job in it. He's just great, and he has a unique look, and mm -hmm. the bad guys are all great. Like, I'd say the three main bad guys, they have, like, the Baroness Lady, too. Oh, the yeah. what, the general? Yeah. The yeah. girl general? Commander. Yeah, she was and so, cool. And when people die, they just, like, freaking melt, which I love. Yeah, yeah, they, <laughs> they just goop. Um, when one of the villains dies, I get a little bit upset, even though I know maybe he yeah. had to die. And then even in that documentary, um, <laughs> he, he, he was upset, like, I shouldn't die here. That's, like, that's, that's the, the one the guy sequel. said. Yeah. It's in the script! Yeah. <laughs> you die here! <laughs> um, but, um, um, Dino De Laurentiis also produced it, and, mm -hmm. like, they say he's just crazy. And, like, I love the stories about him, and I also love his stuff that he produced. Same thing with, like, Golan and Globus are not, they're not as good as Dino De Laurentiis. Maybe sometimes they are, actually. Sometimes they produce better stuff. But I feel like Dino De Laurentiis was willing to throw a lot more money on the table. And then, like, a lot of Golan and Globus pitchers. But the idea that he takes chances on stuff like Dune, and Blue Velvet, and Flash Gordon, mm -hmm. and the remake of King Kong. I know that should probably have been a hit automatically, but I don't know if it did well. But he, he just seems to have lost a lot of money to make a lot of art. Yeah, and I, I would call this art. And I mean, entertainment, and entertainment. But it, the risky, the risky, but... risky pictures, I think. Oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. you know, what's the target audience for this? It's like 8 to 12-year-olds. Yeah, but at the same time, it hadn't been a... I don't know when the last time it was popular right. was. Right, so. yeah. Um, maybe you're kind of get both the adult and the kids trying to get both of them. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, it is shortly after Star Wars, and yeah. Star Wars is, you know, yeah, seventy-seven big right. fantasy. They're supposed to make two more of these, I think. That's yeah, they that's the kind three of what picture they said, deal, and... but. Sam Jones' manager screwed up, and he didn't know what he was doing. It just was kind of a sad story hearing yeah. all about that. And uh, he was dubbed over in the movie, which also mm -hmm. sucked because he's got a really good voice. When you see, he reminds me of like kind of like a Red Brown type, except just a little bit more. Um, what am I looking for? A little bit more unhinged than uh, yeah. Red. Now, I wouldn't say he's unhinged because he's not an unhinged person. But Red Brown seems really relaxed. Sam Jones has a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that I don't want to say he's on hinge because on hinge makes you think he's crazy and he's not crazy, but he just seems more energetic and more energetic. Red Brown to me. Who um who are we going to get for Warren Oates? They he was going to play Doctor Zarkov. That's right. Yeah. And here in that, like, did you see? <laughs> did you see like all the color drain from my face? Right. Said, did you like look? Well, I rewound it to double check and I was like, right. What? I was like. Warren Hotz was almost Dr. Zarkoff, and they flipped the coin, and Dr. Zarkoff is fine. Right. But he ain't Warren Oates. Right. I'll tell you that. And he ain't Warren Oates. <laughs> you I know? would have liked to see his interpretation of it. I can see it kind of already. <laughs> I don't think his voice would have been different. I don't have him being uh, playing that kind of voice. I no. feel like he would just be Warren Oates' voice. Probably would be. I, I can't think of any Zarkoff lines, but he's, I don't know, he was really good in comedy. 
performances when you look at something like Stripes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Warren Oates is the best part of Stripes next to John Candy. Him and John Candy are the best parts of that movie. It's kind of like Tom Tolles being in that Kangaroo movie. Warriors of Virtue? Is that what it... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, why? Why are you but, in this? But the funny thing about Warren Oates is after he died, I think he became more iconic. Like, everybody knows yeah. who he is. He's like... I don't know. He's like a, a hero in, in kind of 60s, 70s, um, you know, movies. A character mm-hmm. actor. He's like a character actor hero because he died young and he was so good and he never really got the accolades when he was alive. So, like... I guarantee that the impact of him being in this movie would have been bigger. Right. Than. But then maybe he wouldn't have done, this was 80, maybe he wouldn't have done Stripes in 81 mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't know. Who knows? It's hard to tell. Uh, Queen does a score. That yeah. was quite surprising. I did not realize that that was going to be a Save thing. Save the universe. Yeah, and like uh, the whole introduction is like a three minute like music and, video. And we didn't know much montage. about the movie. And right away right. it was like, yeah. Flash. It was like, aha. Uh-huh. I was like, that's Queen, isn't like, it? Right. Like, Save the universe. I was like, that's Queen. Like, it has I knew be. it right away. I was like, nobody else sings like that. And then so. they, they use like, I guess Queen does like like just different melodies or light motifs for the actual yeah, score yeah, throughout, yeah. and then great. somebody That's else great. helped with it. I think so. But I can't. Uh, I can't remember. Just, but. Like the set designs are great too. Like literally, mm-hmm. it's so imaginative and almost like childlike quality, especially like when they're fighting on a rotating like moving platform and spikes yeah. pop out. And it's just like this is like Mario Party. It is. Here. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it just I don't know. It's really fantastic. I I just was very happy with it. And I just don't see how anybody could dislike this movie. Yeah. Unless they're just so miserable. I'm sorry. I'm sure there's some people that don't like it. No, there's nobody. If you dislike this movie, it's because you sold your soul or something. (laughs) It's it's a fun, fun movie. All right. This is John Stanley's Creature Features. Before I forget, next week is my pick. It's Black (coughs) Sunday by Mario Bava. See, guys, in in a lot of ways, I am 100% a novice. I never saw Flash Gordon, and I haven't seen Black Sunday by Mario Bava, which is his most popular film, which is insane. You haven't seen Black Sunday? Shut up, man. You're the same asshole last week that said, I ain't seen Psycho, and you (laughs) have seen Psycho. I know you're lying. No, I've only seen, like, the last ending of Psycho, like, like the last 20 minutes. Creature Features, John Stanley. Flash Gordon, 1983 out of five stars. Dino De Laurentiis is, I think that's Peon, but Peon spelled P-E-O-N. I don't know. Peon? Maybe it's a misspelling. Maybe I'm just dumb, but it's a word that I'd never seen written before. To Alex Raymond's comic strip, Space Hero features Lorenzo Semple Jr. script that walks a fine line between uh, balance between action and satire. The costumes and sets are fabulous, and the cast finally picks. Sam Jones's Flash is perhaps a too naive, but his enthusiasm makes him acceptable. Max von Sydow makes movie history as one of the great villains. Ming the Merciless, um, Melody Anderson as Liberated Dale Arden, and uh, Topol Adafi dedicated Dr. Zarkov. Brian Bless thunders his way through the stylized action as Voltan, the Hawkman. The great sky battles are faithful to Raymond's designs. Only the rock score by Queen seems out of place. A real fantasy funhouse directed by Mike Hodges. I disagree with the Queen's statement. Right, I think it... But there's a bunch right here, these Flash Gordons. Flash Gordon 36, Flash Gordon yeah. Conquers the Universe, Flash Gordon's Trip to Mars. Yeah, and they have tons of alternate names at the same time. Flash Gordon versus the world. Flash Gordon goes to camp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what were you going to say about the Queen thing? Oh, I think that it, it fits perfectly yeah. with the score. I think it's really... Maybe at the time it was a little jarring. Maybe. But, I mean, they... Well, they did, said they it was it. never really done before. And Highlander, too. Yeah. Um, Princess of the Universe. Born to be kings. And that's one of the most badass songs ever. It's Princess of the Universe. Bam. I just want to watch Highlander now. 
I have never seen Highlander. That should have been on your list, actually. Yeah. It probably should have been. No. Yeah, it should have been. My list is good. I'm picking that as one. And next year, we're already planning what we're going to do. Nothing. <laughs> no, we're going to do something. Yeah. Okay, so... Um, so what's your rating? 9 out of 10. First nine time watch. Loved it. Enjoyed it. Um, just made me feel good. Like, you know what I mean? Like... Mm-hmm. And I am getting old, so like if I'm watching a movie, half the time I, I will start do- dozing off. Especially if it's a work I work right. and I work tomorrow, I'll be like, this movie I didn't even fucking blink once. I was mm-hmm. just like, it's a long movie. It's like an hour and fifty minutes, isn't an it? Hour fifty one minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you compare it to Master of the Universe? You wanted me to lose more credibility last week. I reviewed Meet Wally Sparks and said every told everyone I loved it. I already lost subscribers, Jeremy. <laughs> now you're gonna make me compare Flash Gordon, which is a cult classic, to Masters <laughs> of the Universe, which is um, a beloved TV series made into a movie that everybody hated because it's not a very good Masters Universe thing. I love the movie. I don't care if it's an awful TV show, a version of it. It didn't have Orko. I don't care. It had Gwildor. It tasted good. Gwildor's like, no. Good. Gwildor. Gwildor needs to go back into the labyrinth. Gwildor versus Orko. What are you, who are you guys Orko. Got? It's Gwildor Orko. Gwildor all day. Billy Barty. Um, anyways, I love Mass Universe. Um, I'm going to rate it a 10 out of 10, even though objectively it is not a 10 out of 10, but I don't give a shit. It's one of my favorite movies and it, it gets me pumped. So, I mean, it's very similar. It's, yeah. it's not as big or probably not as good, but I like Mass Universe better. But... It's not better. Right. What do um, you rate it? Four, four and a half out of five. Nine out of ten. <laughs> well, nine out of ten? Yeah, that's probably nine out of ten. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. No, my scale's different. I got five. Yeah, I got it. And I the half it. means I really like it. And it probably yeah. should be more, but I, I don't know if I can justify going up there. Oh. Yeah. I'm good. You? I think I'm good. Yeah. I think go watch Flash Gordon. Oh, the Flash Gordon. <laughs> Go watch Orson Welles Go. talk about wine. He should have been in this movie. I'm sure he was dead. He could have played, um, like, maybe like one of those, uh, that, that scorpion thing in the log. <laughs> Except he's just sitting there at a table, like, like drinking wine all drunk and eating. And then, like, when he sees him, he's like, <laughs> he just stabs their hand with a fork. He's like, oh, he just, like, he's like, he's like, yeah. Like he doesn't want to be bothered, so he just sticks their hand with the fork. Who was the the um Robin Hood guy? That's Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton. He played James Bond twice. He did. Yeah. Is he in Princess Bride? I don't think so. I feel like this movie looks like Princess Bride. I've never seen Princess Bride. Uh, see, hey, Timothy Dalton's also in Hot Fuzz. He's the bad guy. I haven't seen Hot Fuzz. Sorry, guys. We're gonna have to leave. This is over. This is done. This is done. No more movies. What plaything can you offer me today? The planet Earth. What's happening? It's an attack. Pathetic earthlings. Who can save you now? Flash! They'll kill you! Let's all team up and fight him. Prepare for torture! I want him. Stop at nothing. Flash, I love you, but we only have 14 hours to save the Earth. Flash Gordon is still alive. Gordon's alive? Die! Yes! Must be 
my lucky day. Clytus, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? An obscure body in the SK system, Your Majesty. The inhabitants refer to it as the planet Earth. I like to play with things a while before annihilation. Pathetic Earthlings! Who can save you now? Ah! Okay, guys, let's get into these questions. We have Warren and Tia's box. How can you do these detailed episodes once a week? How on earth? I can't even watch them before the next one comes along. Is there any way you can do a behind-the-fourth-wall look at making of them, Parker? I'll give you a rundown what I do. So, um, basically, I watch movies throughout the entire week. Uh, this probably starts on Sunday, watching movies or Saturday night for the week um, that it will be recorded. So, And a lot of times, I will do exercises, um, like just crunches in front of the TV so I can watch. And I know some people are like, that's cheating. But actually, I pay more attention when I'm doing the crunches and stuff like that and maybe some curls just because um, it's any way to not focus on what you're like the the with the weights you're lifting so I'll, I'll be like I notice that when I'm lifting weights I pay attention 10 times more to any movie um, than I would sometimes so I'll watch all the movies throughout the week and then when I get all of them done I'll, I'll kind of um, I do I but log them on letterbox so I remember everything I watched so it's usually 10 to 15 movies so then I will go make a list of them the way I want to talk about them in order so here's my guideline list if you guys know I'll make this this is just everything basically all the questions and what and what I'm gonna watch I'll put them in order and everything I'll put all the movies in the stack of the order I'm gonna watch I'll print this list off. I'll go online and I'll find all the trailers before I even shoot the video and upload all the trailers to the movies and the clips I want to use in the editing process because I want to see if any of them are going to get flagged. Sometimes they'll get flagged after, but usually they'll get flagged first. I'll keep them on listed or draft form, so I'll see what gets flagged. Um, I don't care if they want to collect revenue from it, but I can't have them blocking the video or giving me copyright strikes. So I'll see what gets flagged and what gets hit. Um, in fact, this week, uh, last week, I actually got hit with uh, Shake, Rattle, and Roll. I uploaded the video and they manually found it and took it down and gave me a copyright strike because the movie was owned by someone else even though I believe it's in the fair use but a lot of those Asian countries um, like you know the Philippines and stuff they don't give a fuck about fair use so or Japan especially Toho they'll take it down but a lot of times I upload it all beforehand 
So I'll upload it before to see if I'm getting any copyright strikes so the video doesn't get taken down. I'll go in Adobe, I'll make all the title card sequences, I'll put all the trailers in there, I'll put all the little clips in there and everything like that. So that's how I start. Then I'll shoot the, the video in one huge kind of um, video. It's usually like an hour chunk. And uh, then I'll upload all that footage onto Adobe. I'll put it on the computer, put it in Adobe, and then start cutting it up. I'll, you know, just cut off, you know, maybe a flub in the very beginning of each review um, or cut some dead air out that it's the very end of each review. I'll add in... Um, the trailers and everything like that. But after I shoot this main video, I shoot the updates and I shoot the footage of the actual covers and stuff of the movie separate and I'll add that over the reviews so it's sometimes like that. And then when I'm editing in clips and everything like that or music, I'll use the um, parameter or whatever, uh, you know, kind of special um, add-on where I'll just kind of throw it over and add music and everything like that and overlay that. Then I'll render the video and that can take a while sometimes. Sometimes it'll be five or six gigabytes. I'll render it. It's an hour long or hour two hours long it'd be quite long so i'll render all that i'll upload it to youtube and i'll put it up there for patreon subscribers make sure everything's good then i'll make sure before i upload it and share it with them i will make the outline for the website and all the links and all the timestamps so they can get that i'll make an audio version for the patrons and for podbean and everything like that and then I will finally, Wednesday, I'll, I'll also go to a weekly, um, Weebly, and make all the information slots with all the links and everything like that. So Wednesday, it will all go live, the YouTube video, the Weebly link, the Podbean, and it will all be available. I'll share it on all the Facebook sites that I and groups and everything like that. Send all the reviews to anybody that requested them, or I mean like basically companies that are reviewed for, or and the patrons and stuff like that. So yeah, it, it is an ordeal, to be honest. It takes a while, and uh, I, I don't know, like uh, it, it does take a long time and sometimes I feel like not doing the Patreon reviews and just kind of refunding everybody the money because I don't really make money from it to be honest it's not really like I'm rolling in money from the Patreon reviews because a lot of times you rent something or you buy a DVD for it so you break even a lot of the times um, and sometimes you might come out a little ahead if you own a lot of the movies they want you to review so it all really depends um, but and then we have some uh, answers. Uh, Travis Wright, um, last week I asked any movies that you think uh, belong on Internet Movie Database's top 250 that aren't, and any that you would like to take off. So, um, Travis Wright, I can't believe Halloween, Resurrection, and Scream 3 aren't on Internet Movie Database's top 250. Seriously, though, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre should be on there, and I think Chinatown should not. Ooh. Michael Weimer, uh, Skirk the Third, The Room, the one, you know, uh, you're tearing me apart, Lisa. Morgan Susick, fuck all the Lord of the Rings movies, Silence of the Lambs, and Hamilton. Especially Hamilton. Hmm, Silence of the Lambs, really? Um, and he put Love Parasite. It's one of the films, I think that is on the top 250, isn't it? In the history, Best Pictures Oscars, I feel actually deserves it, and it definitely deserves to be ranked higher. Okay. Jeremy Freeman, since I can't fucking read, I had to redo this shit, so here we go. Don't, uh, don't, both fucking Avengers movies should, Children of Men. Children of Men isn't, or is it? Um, it should be. Jarno Haranen, Text Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Nick Mua, as I said earlier, How to Tame Your Dragon doesn't belong on the top 250, according to Little Old Me. I've always enjoyed animated features, but I have to be immersed in the world that is present presented. A true voice artist in combination with fine animation is just that. In recent years, I'll go into the second page here. Everybody who is anybody in the acting world has been doing animated movies. Only the immersion aspect is gone and has become celebs doing cartoons. The more famous a star, the more people want to see it. So sad. Voice actors are true artists with different skill set than other actors. This is often forgotten. Not just any actor can do it or maybe one in a hundred. Rest in peace, Robin Williams. Movie that should be on the Internet Movie Database's coveted two, top 250 list, you guessed it, is that I'm going to again toot my country's horns for 2009. The Misfortunates, 
brilliantly directed by Felix von Groningen, best known internationally for The Broken Circle Breakdown and Beautiful Boy. This is a sad, captivating story about alcohol addiction and its effects on those surrounding the addict without judging anybody. A must-see if you have the stomach for it. Questions 1. Oh, sorry, I didn't get these questions. I should have put them in the other spot. You stated that you somewhat enjoyed Death Watch, as they're these movies who dealt with being stuck in limbo better than this film. Is there, um, are there movies with uh, who dealt with being stuck in limbo better than this film? I don't really know. In fact, I don't even like A Field in England. A lot of people love that movie, and I'm not a big fan of it. And then what else is a stuck in limbo movie? I would say Risk Cutters is. And that one I think is interesting. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm sure there is. Um, Risk Cutters I think is better. I don't think that um, A Field in England is, and I know that's blasphemy probably. Two, would you want to be on the jury that picks the 50 best zombie movies ever made? If so, how would you make your choice? Or maybe a top 50 is not enough for you? Um, yes, I would. Um, and that's the only jury I'd ever put myself on, to be honest. Because if Night, Dawn, and Day and Return and Zombie aren't on the list, then... Um they have no, then this, this doesn't have any business being around. Because the list I see sometimes, people are just always trying to like throw a curveball. And like they'll be like, like when we were on 22 Shots, we did we read a review of the top 20 rape revenge movies, and Kill Bill was on there. And it's like Kill Bill has rape and revenge, but it's not really a rape revenge movie, and it doesn't really fit the genre. So putting that as your number one is just fucking stupid. And you're just trying to throw a curveball so people be like, oh, whoa, and be excited. It's just like so many people make the list to shock people. Um, so I actually would, um, and top 50 is probably enough. Um, if Jeremy was taken over by an alien from Horror Express, how would you deal with it? Um, I don't know. And it depends where I was. Get him out of the house and lock the doors. Would you consult Bug Boy or rely on the awesome power of Mr. Parka? Well, Bug Boy can't do anything. Bug Boy is, he's a larva. So he's not going to do much. Hope this long ass post hasn't made your eyes bleed or point you to. Um, sad face. Um, bug boy. <laughs> okay, but yeah. Um, so then we have Shane Glass back to the answers. He says, Apocalypse Now for the no, planes, trains, and automobiles for the yes. Mike Espinito, Room 2015 doesn't deserve to be on the top 250 list. I understand it's based on Amanda Berry abduction. The real life story far surpasses the film. I just don't think it was anything special. An Apocalyptico deserves definitely to be on the list. It's one of the top 25 movies of all time. Then we have some info that people put. My tube. I was watching a trailer from Demonia. I haven't seen it in a while. I did watch Demons and Manhattan Baby over the past two days. As soon as I saw the lady walking up the streets, I thought, it is the grown female version of the horribly overdubbed Bob from House by the Cemetery. Female Bob, 1216. And Bob with Fulci making Manhattan Baby. Thanks for the effort, Dave. Thank you. And then Horse Cinema. Uh, Geraldine Chaplin is Charlie Chaplin's daughter. Thank you for the info. I'm an idiot. Um, Incarnate. Alan uh, Payant also directed Helga, She-Wolf of Stilberg, which I hope MVD releases on Blu-ray as well. Then has taken a page out of the Just Franco book by actually filming scenes for Helga while he was shooting Natalie. All of Pamela Stanford's scenes in Helga are basically leftovers slash extras from Natalie. And while both films are quite similar, the vibe between the two is quite contrasting. Natalie comes across more intense and while still being a silly whereas helga is definitely lighter and more playful right now helga has only been available on dvd so maybe hopefully if natalie blu-ray release sells well enough they'll give helga the same treatment and then we have travis linthcomb hey dave i'm a week late but i want to say that i love the new segment i'm going to regret this i'm looking forward to more and i think it's a really good idea to make categories for patreon picks it helps narrow it down and would be fun on both ends okay so basically what was the question of the week okay now this is basically kind of selfish on my own part but i want to know because we're coming up to the 1991 the best of 1991 on the 22 shots of moods and whore and i'm sitting there thinking on my list and i'm like we usually do the extended list later on the top 25 a few of us will and i'm like i have no problem including some of the more like less horror maybe 
sci-fi or thriller in my top 25. But as my top 10 is concerned, I want to keep it mostly horror. So do you guys consider Cape Fear a top 10 horror film from 1991? Or is it just a thriller? So is Cape Fear a 1991 top 10 horror film? Do you guys consider it enough of a horror film to consider it a top 10 in 1991? Um, so yeah, yes or no. Just give me yes or no on there. Um, so I might even do a poll in my Facebook later. So basically, yeah, we're going to hop into the update. Okay. This update is going to be super short. Only have three titles, but first is judge dread, the Stallone version. Yeah. Most people hate this movie, but I always enjoyed it. Um, uh, it's Stallone. I like Stallone. So what can I say? I have a law. I love that in the courtroom scene, but very fun. I know the the new one's actually much better, but still. Then we have F for Fulci. We have the lenticular cover of Fulci turning into a zombie. So yeah, pretty cool. And then last, but certainly not least, we have Tales from the Dark Side by Shout Factory. Um, always like this one. This is the real Creep Show 3, by the way, guys. But good uh, anthology. Um, hopefully it's got a new master on there. But I'm not 100% sure, but good film for sure. So, yeah, we're going to hop back to the uh, video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, you have a good one. Hey.